Grace, mercy, and God's peace be multiplied to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Christian gospel is this, you and I are lost and Jesus has rescued us. The Christian gospel is not, you and I are pretty good and we just need a little bit of help from Jesus to get us over the finish line. The Christian gospel is this, your heart and my heart naturally wander and we are lost and I am selfish and self-centered and Jesus gives you and me a new one. He gives us a new heart. He gives you his heart by faith. The Christian gospel is not just follow your heart. Whatever you feel, it's okay. Follow it. It'll never lead you astray. So this might sound strange or challenging or off-putting, but Jesus did not come to make your life more comfortable. He came to save you. He came to rescue you. And he came to invite you, after he's rescued you, to then do his kingdom work. He came to show you a whole new way of looking at the world and a whole new way to live it out. Jesus came to show you God's unconditional grace that we don't deserve and then invite us to live that out in the world. And so when you get to a lot of Jesus' teaching... He's always talking about that vision, that dream, and it's called in Luke, the kingdom of God, the world from God's view, from God's vantage point, the way God wants things to be. And when we see it and read it and hear it, it's often so upside down or opposite to what we see with our own eyes in our world that we live in. So today in Luke 6, as I read a moment ago, we're going to look at the first part, which is quite challenging stuff, and the next week another part, which is challenging in a different way, but it's called the Sermon on the Plain. Some of the stuff might sound very similar to stuff you've heard in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Sounds similar, but it's different, and it's quite challenging. So we're going to dig in and see what Jesus says to us today. So Lord, give us hearts to, to receive his words. So Jesus is gathering these people. They're just, they just want to be around him. They're following him, disciples, crowds, a number of different people. And then he gathers them and he has them sit down and he says, speaks monumental sermon words. And he starts by saying, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude and insult and reject you because of the Son of Man. When that happens, rejoice. Leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that's how their ancestors treated the prophets. Here's a challenging part. But woe to you who are rich. You have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now. You will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. You will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So you might say, woe, Jesus right? This is not what you might expect from Jesus. This isn't sweet, cuddly, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. You might think it starts that way when he says those wonderful, blessed statements, but then it ends in woe, strong woes. People here were were following Jesus. They're clamoring to be near him, so he teaches them, he touches them, he heals them, he blesses them, but then he also warns them. And he gives them four blessings and four warnings. 
or four woes, four blessings and four woes, and they correspond to each other. He said all the blessings first and then the woes, but we're going to put them together, match them up, and then talk about each one of them and see what God has to say to us today. So the first one, which we'll spend the most time on, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. What does Jesus mean? What does he mean by this? You might be used to the way he says it in Matthew when he adds a few words, blessed are you the poor in spirit, but Luke doesn't record that. That's not what Jesus says here. He just says, blessed are the poor, and woe to you rich. How are we supposed to wrestle with this? If you remember, three weeks ago, we looked at when Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth and read the Isaiah scroll and said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, and he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. We talked about this a little. And so you see then Jesus' ministry is to people who are poor, who have been rejected and discarded, dismissed, abused, marginalized. Jesus is touching people with leprosy. He's giving grace to people that nobody else would, to prostitutes, to tax collectors, to to others. And he's showing women respect that they've never experienced before. Jesus is for the poor. And God's kingdom and God's values are radically different than the world. You see, in Jesus' day, the rich and the powerful ran the world. If you had money, if you had power, if you had control, you could do whatever you wanted. You might think much of the world still might operate that way. And most people with power abused it. They mistreated those underneath them. Yet Jesus, the king of all, wasn't born in a palace but in the poorhouse. Jesus came for the poor. But he says, woe to you who are rich. For you have already received your comfort. Okay, that's a challenge for us. And I think the hardest part about that challenge is that you and I have to admit that we are rich. By Jesus' day standards and even by our own world standards today, we have to admit that we are rich. Here's an example. If you have any amount of money saved, if you have a hobby that requires some equipment or supplies, hunting, fishing, sewing, whatever, you get the, get the gist, a, a variety of clothes in your closet, not just one set, two cars in any condition, and live in your own home that puts you into the top 5% of the world's wealthy. And if you made $1,500 last year, that puts you into the top 15% of world income earners. And if you made $50,000 last year, that puts you into the top 1% of income earners in the world. So that makes me wonder, if you have enough money to go buy food whenever you need it, do you even need to trust God to provide daily bread? If you know where your next meal is or could be, do you even need to trust God? If you have enough money in the bank to pay your mortgage, car, bills, groceries, whatever, then do we actually need to trust God? Maybe not. Jesus warns over and over again how hard it is for rich people to trust him and follow. Why? Because Jesus says over and over again, money is one of the biggest obstacles to trusting God. Because if I can buy everything I need, what do I need to trust God to provide for me? So Jesus says, woe to you who are rich, you have already received your comfort. 
You see, if I have enough money to buy everything, I'm tempted to take comfort in that, not take comfort in Jesus. So if you feel secure about your future, is it because you trust in the grace of Jesus to take care of you, or is it because you trust and know that your 401k has been doing well? I think that's what Jesus is saying. He says wealth can be a great barrier to trusting Him. Many years ago, famous singer Madonna doled out some wisdom about this. You might be surprised by what she said. She talked about money in our hearts. There's an interview. She said, money is like everything. Money is like romantic relationships. It's like food. They're manifestations of God and that they're blessings that we get. But they're not what's going to make us happy. They're not real. They don't last. And there's only one thing that lasts, and that's your soul. And if you don't work on that, if you don't pay attention to that, then all the money in the world is not going to help you. Madonna reminds me when Jesus is talking to a man and he says to him, you are not far from the kingdom. She gets it. She gets it maybe more than a lot of Christians or maybe we do at at times. She gets it that money can't do the things that only God can do and we have to pay attention to our heart and soul. Now, on the flip side of this, Jesus doesn't say it's good to be poor. He doesn't say idealize it. It's good. He doesn't say it's good to be poor and bad to be rich. He says, if you are poor, I have come for you. If nobody else loves you, nobody else cares about you, I do. And to rich people, well, if you read the rest of the Gospels, Jesus actually invited them to follow him too and to live out his kingdom. A well-known example is Zacchaeus. Tax collector. He had money from over collecting and he was wealthy. And Jesus transformed him by his grace. And then what happens to him? Zacchaeus becomes generous. He understands that he doesn't need to steal and he doesn't need to hoard and take too much. And he understands that God will take care of him. And he can be he can be honest, he can be generous, and he can care for the poor. Okay, let's go to the next one. Blessed Are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. But woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. If you have power or influence or wealth in God's kingdom, transformed by the grace of Jesus, you use it to bless other people, not oppress them. Jesus blesses the hungry, but he doesn't say, it's good to starve, you should all starve. Or if you starve, then I'll bless you. No, he says, If nobody else loves you, I do. If nobody else will care for you, I I do, I will. I will feed you. I will bring justice. That's why many of Jesus' miracles uh, recorded are him feeding people, feeding hungry people with food. But if you have food and have power, he says, use it to serve others. Don't live the values of the world, but live the kingdom of God. Okay, the third one. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. But woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Those of you who have suffered deep grief and wept, Jesus comes near to comfort you. And when your heart is still aching and still stinging, Jesus comes near to you and he blesses you. That's good news to hear that blessed are you who weep now. Jesus is with you. But he's also saying to those of you for whom your life has been rather easy, well, be careful. It it probably won't always be. 
And if your life is going really well, don't take credit for it. Thank God for it. Okay, here's the fourth one and another quite challenging one. It's the longest one. Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you. When they exclude you, insult you, reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, rejoice, leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that's how your ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Jesus says, if you follow me, if you live my upside-down kingdom values, you should expect at some point to be ridiculed, maybe persecuted. You should expect at some point people to make fun of you, misunderstand you, mock you. Don't be surprised. But I think we believe the opposite, right? I think often I believe that if we're, we think if we're following Jesus, living his kingdom, doing what he wants, life will be easier and everyone will like us. I'm tempted to believe that. When Jesus tells me the opposite, he says, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you because that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Jeremiah was our Old Testament reading. Jeremiah the prophet, God gave him a word to give his people, and it was a hard word. And it was that exile is coming. Jerusalem will be ransacked. You'll be taken away to Babylon for 70 years. It's coming. But there was another prophet named Hananiah. And he said, at the same time, he said, no, 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 don't listen to Jeremiah. God spoke to me. And God said, it's only going to be two years You'll just have to go for a little bit. Then God will defeat Babylon. It'll all be good. Don't worry. This is temporary. And the people loved what Hananiah said, but hated Jeremiah's words. But guess who was speaking for God? Sometimes the values of God's kingdom are just not the values of the world. And sometimes what the church of Jesus believes and devotes itself to is very different than what our world does. And we shouldn't be surprised when they're at odds. Now, we should be kind and loving and gracious, but also truthful. We should actually be wary when a church agrees with nearly everything a surrounding culture it's in teaches, because God's kingdom will always be at odds with the world. Now, if you look, I've tried to make a little map for you that's going to help us here. If you look at what Jesus says here, you have, I put the four blessings on the top and then four woes on the bottom. And there's something very interesting. In Jesus' day, a lot of people spoke differently than today. And many times the way they organized their speaking was a bit of a code. It was that they organized it in a way so that the main thing they wanted you to know was in the absolute middle of what they said. And so if you read through this and kind of map it out, uh, it kind of looks like this. And you have blessings on the top, woes on the bottom, but then there's something in the absolute middle, grammatically even, of what Jesus said. What is that? He says, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, reject you, because of the Son of Man. So that phrase, because of the Son of Man, is absolutely in the middle of Jesus' preaching. And I think it's the key to understanding all of this. Jesus, the Son of Man, is the center, not just of his sermon, but he's trying to tell us. You see, with Jesus, the Son of Man, you are blessed. You aren't blessed because you have money or power or status. In fact, 
Jesus says those things might keep us from trusting. You're blessed because you trust in Jesus. With Jesus, the Son of Man, you are fed. You are fed the sole food of his death and resurrection, and today, his body and blood, and you are satisfied. With Jesus, the Son of Man, you may weep now, but Jesus comes near, and in Revelation, he has promised to return to wipe away every tear from your eyes and give you joy. And with Jesus, the Son of Man, people might persecute you, but he says it will be worth it. And without Jesus, in the end, there is only woe. You might have your money, but it won't last. Without Jesus, your body might be fed while your soul is starving. Without Jesus, life might seem good, but he alone is the way, the truth, the life. Without Jesus, people might say nice things about you, but if you miss the whole point of life, being found by your Savior and showing others what he is like. You see, Jesus, the Son of Man, He became poor for you, born to a poor family, gave up everything so that he could bless you with the eternal riches that he has earned. Jesus, the Son of Man, went hungry for you. On the cross, he starved and thirsted so that you would be eternally fed by him. Jesus, the Son of Man, even wept for Lazarus and for you. Jesus, the Son of Man, was ridiculed, hated, and murdered for you because he loves you. And because of him, you are blessed by him. Amen.